Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The volume. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight here at The Volume. Happy Monday, everybody. I hope all of you guys had an incredible weekend. We are live on AMP, so if you're listening on our podcast feed or watching on YouTube, don't forget that AMP is the very first place that you guys can get these shows. We have made it to the top 10 in our player rankings, and we're going to be doing number 10 today, Luka Doncic. You guys know the drill. Before we get started, subscribe to The Volume's YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our videos. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT so you guys don't miss any show announcements. And if for whatever reason you miss one of these videos and you can't get back over to YouTube to finish, don't forget you can find them wherever you get your podcasts under Hoops Tonight. All right, let's talk some basketball. So before we go any further, I want to emphasize, like, obviously I took these rankings very seriously. Um, I'm going to be 100% honest with you. Uh, everything after number 10 is still up in the air for me. I have stared at it and stared at it and stared at it nonstop. And I keep changing my mind on stuff. And the main reason why is every one of these guys is so close. To be clear, the 10 guys we have remaining are what? Like uh, Jokic and Bede, Luka, Tatum, LeBron, uh, our small forwards, Kevin Durant, Anthony Davis, uh, Giannis, um, I think that's all of them. Jimmy Butler, I think, is the 10th guy. So there's 10 guys there. And in any given playoff series, any of those guys could win. In any given playoff series, I think there's a clear guy at the top in Nikola Jokic, right, who, who deserves that spot. And we're going to get there. Big shock. You guys, anybody who's been following the show knows that Jokic is going to be number one on my list. But after that, like, it's anybody's series. I've watched in a playoff series this year, Anthony Davis look like a slightly better player than Steph Curry, even though Steph Curry literally won a finals MVP the year before. That doesn't mean that the AD is better than Steph. It just means that these guys are all super close. And so in any given series, if a couple of role players are different one way or another, a couple things go one way or another, any one of these guys can win. 
I have Luka Doncic at number 10. The gap between Luka Doncic and the guys at the very top of the league is extremely small. So again, don't take it super, super personally if I have your favorite player a little bit lower on this list. My favorite player is LeBron James, as you guys know, and he's pretty low on this list. That doesn't mean that if a playoff series started tomorrow, I wouldn't want him on my team. It just means that, man, like all these other guys are so good and he's in his 21st season and he's a million years old. You get the point. So all I'm saying is like, again, I have Luka Doncic at number 10, but I view him as a bona fide top tier superstar that is absolutely capable of being the best player on a championship team. This is just the way things broke in this particular season. And to make a long story short, the reason why I have Luka Doncic at 10 is because he missed the playoffs. There's a couple of specific reasons why the Mavs missed the playoffs that I think Luka shares some culpability for. So we're going to get into that here later on. But let's start with the season recap. He averaged 32 points, 9 rebounds, and 8 assists. He had a career high in points per game, also a career high 61% true shooting percentage. I think Luka Doncic is the best heliocentric shot creator in the league. Now, what does heliocentric mean? In the context of basketball, when, and I didn't coin this term, somebody else did, I couldn't tell you who did, but when I think of the heliocentric star, I think of either getting the defensive rebound, a teammate getting the rebound and immediately passing it to him, or him getting the inbounds pass from the baseline, and him slowly bringing the ball up the floor, and every single possession is determined with a live dribble by that player near the top of the key. And the only time they ever give up the basketball is basically when they're tired. And usually heliocentric players, they spend so much energy creating shots that they're not very active when they give up the basketball. Most of them tend to stand 30 feet away from the basket and basically rest and occasionally take a catch-and-shoot jump shot. But for the most part, they determine the outcome of every single possession. That's what I think of with heliocentric players in the league. Think like prime James Harden, although obviously he's had to give up the ball a lot more in later versions of his career. Trey Young's another guy who uh, uh, who I think of in that context. Uh, uh, there's uh, This particular breed of basketball player is becoming a little less common, which I think is a good thing. Um, but that's that's what I think of when I think of heliocentric. I think Luka is the very best at it. He was the best high-volume pick-and-roll player in the entire NBA this year. There were 15 players who had a, at least 1,000 reps. This is that high-volume pick-and-roll list I've been using throughout our entire player rankings. Luka ranked number one on that list, averaging 1.15 points per possession. Good combination of deadly shot-making and the ability to make all of the necessary reads. points per ISO. If you remember our high-volume ISO list, there were 25 players who did at least 250 possessions of isolation basketball. He ranked 7th on that list out of 25. And then 1.15 points per post-up. There were were 20 players in the NBA this year who ran at least 200 post-ups, and Luka ranked 4th out of those 20 players. So one of the very very best pick-and-roll player, one of the very best post-up players in the league, and uh, near the top of the high volume uh, uh, ISO players in the league as well. Shot making, pretty good. Not great in catch and shoot situations, 31% in catch and shoot. But just to give you an idea of just how heliocentric Luka Doncic is, of his 766 jump shots that he took this year, according to Synergy, only 87 were catch and shoots. Think of that again. 766 jump shots, all of them were off the dribble except for 87 in catch-and-shoot situations. He shot 39.4% on pull-up jumpers, though, which is very good. And of those pull-up jumpers, he made 158 from three 
on 34%, which bumps up the effective field goal percentage. So uh, Lu- uh, Luca's effective field goal percentage on pull-up jump shots was 51% last year, which is actually really good. Any Anything over 50% is really good. Remember, Paul George was at like 49%, and he's considered a great pull-up jump shooter. He shot 54% on floaters. He's got one of the best little short push shots in the league. Uh, 69% on hook shots and 68% at the rim, which is really good for a forward as well. Also, and this is the the, the part that's like almost impossible to, uh, to learn as a basketball player. This is just a gift that some players have. Luka is one of the very best passers in the league. I have him in that very top tier. Um, he's a master at manipulating help defenders. When he gets in pick and roll... He's just watching the help. He's just watching the low man. And if the low man doesn't come, he's going to keep working his way down. Remember, low man is the guy guarding the guy in the weak side corner. And his responsibility is to effectively make a read as to whether or not he needs to help in pick and roll at the rim. And so if Luke is going over the ball screen, he's got the defender trailing him on the play. The roll man is going hard towards the rim. He's just working his way downhill. And as soon as that screen defender steps up onto Luca. The lob is open, but if the low man steps over, he's hitting that skip pass to the corner every single time. Low man stays home, he's throwing that lob. Big man doesn't step up and stays back on the lob, that's where he's taking that little push shot in the lane or getting closer to the basket and pump fake and drawing a foul and making the shot with the defender draped on his back. He's just an absolute master at manipulating the help defenders in pick and roll, which is why he was the best high volume pick and roll passer in the league this year. Very similar in our best volume, high, uh, best high volume pick and roll player in the league this year. He also similar thing in post up situations. If he runs the ball screen and he gets a switch, he uh, and it gets a smaller player. He's going to back him down to the post. He's going to just work his way into the lane. And if the second defender comes, he's making that kick out pass. No defender. He's going to shoot one of those little short jumpers or push shots in the lane. Um, Luca, I'm going to be honest with you guys. Luca's a very polarizing player for me as a basketball fan, because there are a lot of things that I absolutely love about his game. And those of you guys who have been following the show for a while could probably guess because my favorite, like he kind of fits the, a lot of my favorite archetype traits in basketball, but then he also has some things that drive me crazy. He's big and strong, which helps him to get to his spots in the playoffs well. You guys know how much I value strength in a playoff setting. He's a super versatile shot creator. Like, all of his possessions look the same, but his shot attempts tend to look very different. Like, he's going to, you know, uh, take a a weird-looking push shot or floater or hook shot or jumper. They're all going to look different. There are a couple that are similar. Like, generally speaking, his step-back three is always going to his left. So if he if he's in it, and really any step back jumper if he's in a situation where he's working with a live dribble and he wants to go to a step back he's gonna step back going to his left so hard right foot forward pushing back and kind of in that like a leaning fadeaway jumper kind of situation and then in the post if he's gonna take a jumper he's always going over his right shoulder so he's gonna fade over his right shoulder and shoot a jumper if he goes over his left shoulder it's gonna be a hook shot or a push shot he doesn't take fadeaways or off the dribble jumpers going to his right so that's his one thing that is somewhat consistent but other than that almost every single shot attempt he takes look different almost every single layup he takes has kind of a different release angle or or release point or things along those lines. He is a super versatile shot maker, which is what makes him so incredibly difficult to guard. Um, 
Again, if you, like imagine you're guarding Luca, you don't have you're not expecting the same shot every time. You you can't contest to a specific spot because he'll just adjust his release angle a little higher, a little lower. He'll pump fake and step through. He, he just there's way too many different types of shots that he can make, um, and that that we always I've always talked about how that versatile shot making just makes you more effective in the playoffs. He's also as an archetype that textbook rim pressuring playmaking forward that I've always gravitated towards. Um, as again, we, when we did the t- archetypes of players, it was big rim pressuring, playmaking forward, three level scoring forward, hyper athletic guard center, and then like superstar center, like Jokic and Embiid. And then unicorn was basically the last one on that list. My favorite of those five archetypes is the big rim pressuring playmaking forward. So again, another reason why I should like Luca. Uh, he was top 10 in points in the paint this year with 886. I think he finished ninth, if I remember correctly. Consistently makes teams pay for overhelping and doubling, like we talked about earlier. He generated 22 points per game just off of his passes. So the Mavericks averaged 22 points a game directly off of Luka Doncic's passes, which ranked sixth in the entire NBA this season. And lastly, the last trait that I've always gravitated uh, towards with basketball players, Luka's a freaking psychopath, man. He is a crazy competitor. He absolutely wants to destroy you and let you know about it, which is something that I always really liked in basketball players. Players that really anybody in life that lacks competitiveness, it's something that I struggle to relate to. Obviously, I, I shouldn't say that I hate people like that. That's mean. But like I've always gravitated towards competitors. The people, They're people that I can relate to. I try to find guys like that to play with me because I still take basketball very seriously. It's just a trait that I've always been very drawn to. Uh, but uh, Luca has a lot of things that I dislike about basketball players. One, he's outrageously heliocentric. We were talking about heliocentrism earlier. That particular archetype is not an archetype that I like. He ran 655 ISOs this year, which was most in the league. To give you an idea of just how crazy that is, LeBron James and Kevin Durant, two of Luca's peers at his position, combined for fewer ISOs than Luca ran this season. So even though most of his shot attempts have a unique variety to them, his possessions all look the same. Luke is getting the ball in the backcourt and he's walking it up the floor, which by the way is why the Mavs were 28th in pace and why I'm really excited about Kyrie being on the team to kind of bring more pace to the team. But he's going to walk the ball up the floor and he's going to do one of two things. He's either going to call for a ball screen from the big man and start to work that equation I just talked to you guys about, trying to get the help defender to come out of the corner to help at the rim to open up the skip pass or to open up the lob pass if that guy doesn't help or to take a shot if the big man doesn't help. Or if the big man switches, he's going to take him out to the perimeter and he's probably going to take a step back three. Or if there's a smaller defender somewhere on the floor that he really wants to target, say Patrick Beverly against the Clippers in the playoffs those years, he's going to call him into the ball screen get the switch and he's going to work him down to the post and he's going to post him up and either make a play or look to score over the top. Or if a team is dumb enough, I think the Clippers at a couple points in those series straight up, just put Pat Bev on Luca, which was incredibly foolish. And Luca torched them in those situations by just bringing the ball up the floor and attacking. He's looking to get their big man in pick and roll to make a decision or to target your worst defender and make a decision. He's doing that every single time. Which is why he ends up with ridiculously high-volume pick-and-roll numbers and ridiculously high-volume isolation and post-up numbers. There's value in that. I want to be clear. Him being great at that is super valuable. It shows in the points per possession. It's 
ironically, the most one of the most effective forms of playoff offense in short bursts in pivotal playoff games. But that's literally all that Luka does. This is another stat to kind of demonstrate what I'm talking about. 93 catch-and-shoot jumpers with seven, almost 700 ISOs. 93 catch-and-shoot jumpers with almost 700 ISOs. LeBron and KD combined to take 450 catch-and-shoot jumpers. Why? How did LeBron and KD end up average, or between the two of them averaging 225 catch-and-shoot jumpers a year while Luka only took 93? How does that happen? It happens because LeBron and Kevin Durant play normal basketball. They slide in and function as part of a five-man unit, a five-man flow. Then, in a specific situation, when, when all of the circumstances call for it, LeBron or KD might start spamming in action. You will see that with LeBron. Like, he'll just flow as part of the team, and then it's like, oh, it's the fourth quarter against Denver in game one. We've got a chance to steal this game. Come here, Jamal Murray. You can't guard in the me, Austin Reeves, ghost screen action. And he'll run that time and time again. They will spam in short bursts in pivotal moments. But that's all they'll do. They don't do that from the opening tip of the first quarter through the entire game. And how do you function as part of a, a, a five-man flow? You have to be willing to do work off the ball. Both LeBron James and Kevin Durant operate a lot off the ball. LeBron this year did a ton of ball screening. So he'd give the ball to Austin Reeves or Dennis Schroeder or D'Angelo Russell or Russell Westbrook, and he'd set a ball screen and roll to the basket. LeBron also does a ton of duck-ins in the post, either through high-low action or sprinting up the floor in transition. If he has a smaller defender on him, he's going to try to get a deep seal when the defense isn't set in help. He does all of these things to be a functional offensive player when he doesn't have the basketball, including averaging 220 or 200, taking uh, uh, you know him and KD uh, combining for 450 catch-and-shoot threes this year. Or catch-and-shoot jumpers, I should say. Kevin Durant himself... He runs a ton of stuff off of wide pin downs. If you find, if you go on my Twitter feed and go back about two weeks, because I think it was when I was in San Francisco, go back about two weeks and I posted a video uh, of uh, of Kevin Durant and all of the off-ball work that he does to kind of demonstrate. It was from a game last season when he was with the Nets. But he, he'll run off of wide pin downs. He'll seal high post position and and make spinoffs to the rim for lobs. And and, and he'll, he just does a ton of work off the basketball. And so that allows them to disappear into the flow of games for long stretches and then grab the reins when they need to, which saves them fatigue, which saves them the repetitiveness that makes them easier to guard. Those are, all, those are very important traits that I think it, it's better to be heliocentric in short bursts than it is to be heliocentric in totality is basically the point. I've never been a fan of players that lean entirely into heliocentric basketball. I think it inflates per possession numbers for individual players, but it becomes easier to guard in large doses, which hurts them particularly at the end of games when they've when a single defense has seen that action 50 times in a single game, and at the end of playoff series when the single defense has seen that action for five games. You'll see those players start to lose effectiveness towards the end of games and series, which is exactly what happened to James Harden. Hasn't happened nearly to the same extent with Luka because of the variety in his, in his shot selection, but you do see Luka fatigue towards the end of playoff games. You do see Luka's efficiency drop a little bit 
at the end of those games. I think that's something that will go that will go better for Luca in the future if he finds a way to kind of disappear into the flow more often so that when he grabs the reins, it's even more effective. The last crazy thing that uh, drive the, the last thing that drives me crazy with Luca is he just simply does not care to defend or box out. He grabs 8.6 rebounds a game, but they are mostly uncontested defensive rebounds. I watched a lot of Dallas after the Kyrie Irving trade this year, and I can't tell you how many times, at like in a pivotal moment when another team's on a run, or uh, in a fourth quarter possession when they're down five and they desperately need to stop, where Luca just will miss a box out because he just the shot goes up and he just turns and looks at the rim and just kind of starts walking in towards the rim. He just, or defensively, will just uh, throw a sloppy closeout or, or or fail to help in a low man situation. He just, I thought this was probably the worst defensive season of Luca's career. And just in general, with his commitment to the dirty work, it was, it was almost like he let go of the rope. It was like the Kyrie Irving trade went down. He identified pretty quickly early on that they weren't very good. And I agree. I was the first one to tell you guys, I didn't think the Mavericks were going to be good this season. It was going to be the following season if they had any chance. But Luca was culpable in a lot of ways because of his lack of commitment to the dirty work. So that's kind of the perfect segue into the reason why I had Luca down at 10. Remember that all these guys are close. All of these guys from 1 to 12, I think, are superstars. I had him above Kawhi because Kawhi's lack of availability just completely erases him from these equations. I had him over Devin Booker because just last season, the season before this previous one, uh, Luka just utterly dominated Devin Booker in a playoff series and kind of embarrassed him down the stretch of the series. So to me, I didn't feel comfortable putting him below Devin Booker. But Luka has no case to be over any of the superstars that are ahead of him at this point in time after the worst defensive season of his career and a season where, again, guys, this is a te- this is a league that allows 20 teams out of the 30 into the playoffs. 20 of the 30, two-thirds of the teams. There's no excuse for missing the playoffs in these fields as a, in this field as a bona fide superstar unless you've been super injured to the point where you miss a ton of games. And I think Luka played like 65. This is not LeBron and Anthony Davis each playing 40 games. That's not how, that's not how this season went. Missing the playoffs, missing the play-in in a 20 out of 30 team uh, in a league that allows 20 out of the 30 teams in, to me, hurts you on this list, which is why I have him down at number 10. And again, Kyrie Irving, I thought Kyrie was awesome after going to Dallas. And the numbers show that. The scoreboard showed that. It was Luka who declined. Kyrie's not as good a player as Luka, but Luka just did not play well down the stretch of the season. That said, I am a huge believer in Luka Doncic's ceiling. I do think he's going to work his way back up this list very soon. Again, specific things I want to see him work on, getting better at the dirty work, which starts by conditioning his body to get to the point where he can devote resources to that end without uh, hurting the offensive end. And then two, working on going extended stretches of basketball games as a cog in a five-man system rather than always playing the heliocentric style. It will help his teammates get into a rhythm. It will save energy and reps to make him harder to guard at the uh, later portions of games and in series. And it will make it more appealing for other stars to come play with him. Which is the ultimate goal. You need to make Kyrie happy so that he doesn't ask for a trade. You need to, uh, if Kyrie does ask for a trade because he's Kyrie Irving, you need to eventually convince somebody to say, I want to partner with Luka on this thing. And if all he does is the heliocentric thing, the only stars that are going to consider it are pick and roll guys. Guys like Anthony Davis. And there's like 
one of those who's really, really good in the league, right? Who's an actual star who just screens and rolls all the time. Like, Jokic ain't going anywhere. I mean, Embiid's, uh, Embiid and Luka would just be a really weird fit, you know? So it's just one of those things. If he wants to get a legitimate co-star to commit long-term, he's going to have to demonstrate a willingness to play a more share-the-load type of offensive system. All right, guys, that's all I have for today. Uh, like I said, at the time of me recording this on Sunday early morning or uh, late morning, I should say, uh, I don't even know who I'm going to put at number nine for Tuesday. Uh, uh, but I will let you guys know. I'm going to think about it and sleep on it one more time. And I will let you guys know on Tuesday. As always, I appreciate your support and I will see you next time. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Fire the grill and fire up the party. Get the Weber Searwood Pellet Grill. Smoke, roast, and sear on the same grill. Go from low and slow on smoke boost mode at 180 degrees all the way to high heat sear at 600 degrees. It's got a full grate sear zone so you can put more food on the flame. Food will look as good as it tastes. This grill is hot in 15 minutes and cleanup is easy. You can also add a heavy-duty rotisserie or rust-resistant griddle insert to up your game. Get fired up for your new Weber Searwood Pellet Grill. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.